Hello and welcome to another episode of 10,000 Hours. I'm Grant Spanier. And I'm Vince Kochi. And you are listening to 115, episode 115. A little a little cherry on the top of season three, Vinny Boy. Uh it's my favorite time of the year. The year or wait, the time of the year when we do the best of episode. Yeah. So festive. I know you always make a real big deal of it. We've got your 10,000 hours uh, suit on. Yeah, Vince always loves to wear we a don't suit have during 10,000 hours apparel. I know. We should, man. We, we almost did. We had a t shirt at one point. We designed it at least. Those were the days. Yeah, and maybe, that's what this episode is going to be about <laughs> reminiscing. A lot, of, a lot of it, certainly. Uh, yeah, maybe 2017. We'll refocus. We'll get the apparel going. Yes, and this is a, a, a wrap up show, a little yep. clip show. Pulling together some of our favorite moments and guests and uh, and clips from the year. Yeah, we had a, a great opportunity this year to talk to some of the more interesting people we've ever had on the show. Tons of fascinating guests from all careers and walks of life and perspectives, from filmmakers to we only had filmmakers. <laughs> no, to sign. Cre- I, I was. Yeah, like, I was sign like throw it over. Oh, you, you were throwing it over to me. Like I, I thought you were lost, and then I wanted to just sort of bury you. This is the sort of rapport that <laughs> three seasons together. Truly, you to we, we've got, we've we've built up this really um, a controversial uh, dynamic. Uh, I hey, you know what, man? Maybe going into 2017, let's just be nicer to each other. Let's love each other. I mean, we started out. We started this thing. We were so much happier. <laughs> I feel like that maybe that might have been true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll work on that as well. But yeah, we had filmmakers, we had painters, we had magazine creators, we had fire eaters, we had. Oh yeah, who Dan Ward? Dan, Dan Ward, Ward, episode eighty four. <laughs> All right, I forgot about that. Yeah, That's yeah. Wild. Well, so this is as much a trip down memory lane for us as it is for you guys. Hopefully, if you're a fan of the show, you'll enjoy reliving some of these moments with us. If you're new to the show, you'll get an idea for what we're all about. Enjoy episode 115. Best of season three? Best of season three. Let's do it. Let's do it for real. Yeah. Hey, I love 100. you, bro. I love you, dude. I love really you do, too, man. I have faith. We shall all. We all. We shall all make it through. So then, now is the part. Well, okay, so I ask you. Yeah, right. Right, right, so, right. So me. Okay, so me, Grant. Right, so you Grant, asking me. Vince, what you, Vince, again, are working on. I ask you that. That's how the show usually does. That's go. how we begin the show. Right. And so we might as, I think we might as well begin the show because that's what know, we're doing right now. We're doing the show. I think so. We've been at this for three seasons now. Maybe this is like the time where we really cement that as like the plan. You know what? Let's commit to the format. I feel like consistency uh, breeds creativity. And Let us know on the forums what you think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pop in, the, pop in the forums. I know this is a controversial move, but so Vince, mm. would you tell me what are uh, what are you working on? What are you putting your time into? Well, uh, lots of stuff. It's it's hectic end of the year, so like between 
the couple of freelance gigs I'm rack, wrapping up, and then uh, you know the office is like I'm the only person there right now. Really? And for the writing team, yeah. Wow. So it's just me against the world, but uh, <laughs> even more so than usual, <laughs> right? Uh, but actually, this week, most of what I've been putting my time into is is this episode. It's a it's a good app, man. What a fun app! Like, I mean, we started the tradition last year, and it's just a treat a treat to to take this stroll with you. Absolutely, doing it two times that makes it officially a tradition. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Kind of like times. how we start the show. I've done it at least <laughs> That's a few times. Yeah, uh, but no, this is our hundred and fifteenth episode. It's heavy. It's a heavy number, man. So, not to spoiler our our non guest show topic, but. Uh, yeah, this is our best of episode, so it's come with a little extra work and sort of... And thank you for all the work you do, of, good and sir. And thank you, Grant, for all the work and you do. And thank you, Vince. And Grant, may I ask <laughs> you, what have you been working on? What have you been putting on? Oh, man, I am, uh, I am so relieved. I mean, part... <laughs> okay, actually, that was going to be hyperbole. I'm prone to it already, so maybe I just embrace <laughs> it. I was going to say, I've just been, kind of been focusing on like day-to-day like surviving surviving is a strong word that's not accurate but i've been basically transient for like three months uh i finally locked down a studio and a a place to live in downtown los angeles that i'm really excited about but as you know it's been uh a whirlwind just trying to make that happen (laughs) you've been sort of nomadic you've been in a state of flux i would say for sure and i feel like it's been a, a really good especially now that i can see the tail end i'm just a few days away from that uh i feel uh, gratitude and I feel lucky to honestly I feel like I pushed myself a little bit it, just in not having a, a technical home the last three months and I learned a lot and I spent a lot of time with other people and, and now I'm looking forward to spending some time alone Grant it was you who introduced me to the saying jump and a net will appear Yeah, and I think you've truly lived that, that idea for sure. the last three months now I'm going to so. hang out I think I don't need to jump again for a little bit um, <laughs> So I've been I've been working on that, and uh, I've been working on all the debt to stuff, <laughs> debt to stuff, debt to stock stuff. Uh, we just relaunched uh, kind of a rebrand and a new website, actually, just quietly. Um, so that's been a, a big focus, and a bunch of work with that. A bunch of work with actually a company called Tile that I really appreciate. It's been it's been good. Cool man. Yeah. And and I think it's kind of fitting that this episode marks the the beginning of your new place yes, yes. in Los Angeles. Crazy, man. I mean, Start and, of a new chapter. A new chapter for the show, too. Yep. Um, wow. I mean, I, I have to imagine we're going to have a lot more Los Angeles guests on. You and I will be separated for a lot of these recordings. It'll be much rarer to be Ugh. in the same room like we are now. But let's not get melancholy. Yes, yes, Let's yes, not yes. get sentimental. The show will go on. And there are plenty of awesome creative individuals, as we know, in Los Angeles that... We'll have the privilege of getting on the show now. Yeah, yeah, so, I can't wait, man. It's can't a cool, wait. It's a cool thing for everyone. <sighs> Grant, <sighs> that's an that's an exasperated sigh. <laughs> Grant, uh, allow me to very clumsily segue into this question, please, because that's our specialty on the show. Uh, yeah. What do we? What is ten thousand hours about? Great question, Vince. Because this question. is often, you know, the episode that will introduce people. To yeah, the show. yeah. I think this is a great place to start if you never listened to the show. Uh, ten thousand hours is a show about craft and creativity, and it's a show about putting in your time. Uh, for those of you not familiar, uh, it was a theory that was popularized by Mr. Malcolm Gladwell in his book Outliers, of which we were gifted a signed copy. Which is pretty cool. I mean, that's one thing the show has, has given us. That was Evan Schneider, episode, I want to say 26. 
27? It was early. It was season one. He okay. was cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> Malcolm uh, popularized this theory that it takes 10,000 hours to be a master of anything. And so, this is a little bit of our foray into uh, looking at that journey and talking with people who are on that path, whether that's 10 hours in, 5,000 hours in, 10,000 hours in, just people of all creative types and maybe not creative technically, although I think we have a pretty broad definition of creativity. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the sort of stances yeah. that the show takes is that uh, the creative industry is is a non-useful term. Yeah. And there are creative people in a, a very wide array of um, professions and pursuits and passions. And it's not like we set out to prove or disprove or yeah, support sure. or unsupport this theory that Gladwell touched on. I don't even think Gladwell himself was yeah. looking to cement it as truth or anything. It's a useful lens through which to examine something that we're all going on, which is the journey of creativity and how our own craft and creation evolves over time. And so we bring in people who can give us a perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more than anything, I think that's what the show has been. I think the reason for us to do it um, has been an excuse to talk to really, really fascinating people and uh, and just have a conversation with them every week. What a treat. Absolutely. It's really just a clever disguise for us to be able to chat with cool people. Seriously. Uh, so I, I hope you guys enjoy these clips. Uh, we've got a whole host of people and a couple of hosts. How <laughs> Whoa. Didn't think it would get out of this this intro section without a pun. Yeah, at least one. <laughs> and a rhyme. There we go. Okay, now we're warming up, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let's get right into it. Let's start the clips, Grant. Roll the tape. <laughs> <laughs> so in this first clip, uh, perhaps appropriately, it is uh, a little clip from the first episode of season three, uh, episode 81, a hostful which are always a treat, where it's just Vince and I, no guest. And this was a, a particular treat because we were sort of breaking ground on a new topic of conversation, sort of a spiritual successor to self-awareness, which was a driving force behind our first two seasons. This topic was self-definition, and it was a topic that was really close to you during sort of the, the off-season yeah. between season two and season three, and you came back ready to talk about it at length. Maybe, maybe I'm going to come in firing on season four with some, with a new thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And you know what? I would, Self-actualization, I would... <laughs> probably. <laughs> the, the final form of evolution. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this this was a really, it's almost like we planned it this way because it really sets the stage for the whole rest of the season and we predicted correctly during this episode that self-definition would come up a lot of times throughout season three and it sure did. Sure did, man. This season's inaugural episode, um, some last thoughts on self-definition. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would um, say maybe as my, my standard cop-out answer, don't go too far in either direction. The, thir- um, the third way, the middle round. The middle exactly. Round. It's a balance. Uh, certainly do not sit, indulge yourself, and ruminate endlessly over unseen truths about your own character because that can be counterproductive. But don't don't take this show incorrectly as a f- license to <laughs> sort of reinvent yourself out of nothing and be something completely that you're not. Yeah. I would I would say that would be the cautionary tale. 
you should have agency and control over your own destiny to put it in a little bit of grandiose terms but uh, don't don't feel like you should write a character for yourself to portray in life ooh actually really really well put Vince it's uh I think if you force it too much it won't take you know yes. it's like it's uh and that's a super dangerous game and and I that wasn't my point but that is totally the extreme of what we're talking about I I guess if I was going to leave us with something riffing from there it would be that um that I'm realizing that you do have more agency than I guess I first thought um I really thought about this as like just revealing truth and I I think there is something to be said about about at least nudging that truth and creating a truth that you're happy with um and on that note you can it's not like you take a step in one direction and all of a sudden you're committed to that but Mm. i do i do think like the the story or the analogy we've used before of of swimming and treading water and kind of paralysis of choice i think just like self-awareness or just like any of these things taking a step and moving forward uh, gives you a lot more leverage and a lot more ability and kind of forces growth. And so I would say almost don't be afraid to take risks with that self-definition. And maybe like maybe the like lowest common denominator version of that would be like personal style. And I'm not saying that that's the thing, but you just taking a, a, a risk or a chance in that will almost teach you more about that. And I think will further define where you go from there. And And either way, it's like that's... I don't know. I, I I don't know. I'm excited about self-definition, Vince. I, I'm excited to explore this topic, uh, maybe over the course of the season, even. I I really am looking forward to that as well. I f- I do have the kind of gut feeling that this is something that's going to come up uh, with some level of frequency. Even even when you just mentioned it offhand to me, maybe a week ago when we last saw each other, I've already been thinking about it more. So. Yeah, and it, it's exciting to talk about it because I, it's not like it's not like we sit down and we plan this stuff out. Really, you know, we're just kind of tapping into our conversations. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm genuinely excited about this topic or this idea and i don't really know even what we're trying to say yet but uh, you know but i mean that's the beauty of it right is like we, we explore it and and it continues to evolve episode 82 grant do you remember who's on the show oh do i ever we've uh, listened to quite a few of his tracks well at least a couple of his tracks quite a repeatedly few yes yes yes, yes. Uh, uh, mr colin fitzpatrick the very talented musician and composer uh, and Minneapolis-based artist that was gracious enough to do the music for 10,000 Hours. He's a close friend of the show, and we finally had the opportunity to have him on in an episode about making it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ta- he was talking a lot about uh, sort of maintaining vision as uh, as constraints get smaller, tighter timelines, and the, kind of the balance of art and commerce. Uh, he, was, he was kind enough to broach a very controversial subject in the creative sphere, which is, do you care about your small money-making projects as much as your passion projects? And to some people, that's an obvious answer. To others, uh, maybe not so much, but his perspective was really refreshing. I guess the the uncomfortable question that I'm attempting to ask is, do you bring the same amount of <laughs> passion and m- maybe meticulous care to both types of projects. Now, inarguably, 
the single that you write for peaks will include a higher volume of work, more dedication, more, more passion, literally more time. But is the same level of dedication and passion there when you write a jingle for a client? And if not, or if so, why? I would say no. I mean, I put, I definitely put way more time and effort into my band and my art projects because I have more time to do it. You know, if I'm writing a jingle, I generally have a couple hours, maybe a couple days. Yeah, fuck. So, I mean, dude, the Betty Crocker stuff we did. Yeah, like, I, I like we'll show notes that too. But I mean, that was pretty ridiculous. That was yeah. a few a few days. I mean, and maybe that's all, I like all of them are. Yeah. Okay, As a third nice. party observer, I'll say I really enjoyed those spots. Nice. They were they were I think they were well made and they, they struck me as well made. So what you're saying is, it's basically a judgment call. You have to not only evaluate how much you care about a given project, but also the the amount of caring you're allowed to do based upon the constraints, be they budgetary or timing. Yeah. Well, the big thing is if you creative energy, this is something I've learned from doing it, writing jingles full time. You only have so much. Yeah. And I've gone through a burnout stage and it was devastating. Like I was, it, I put, it put me in such a deep, dark depression because I didn't have that like opening in my brain that was like receiving and recepting ideas anymore. And it's full output. It's just like you're completely burnt. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't think of anything. And so you have to be careful with how much you're going to give for certain things. So this next clip, Vin, was with the fabled fire eater, Dan Ward. <laughs> that, that we used that photo. He's, I guess he's eaten some fire. That's not what he, uh, he he's practices. He's for a lot of cool and interesting and creative things. Yeah. Uh, Former military guy, writer. Yeah, yeah author. Yeah. And... Um, Fire Eater is just a small footnote. Yes, a little footnote the in the history of Dan Hart. Yeah, and cool things he does. And he wrote a book called The Simplicity Cycle, and uh, our conversation with him circled around a lot of that and efficiency. And it was really fun to dig in with him there because I think we talk a lot about minimalism and sort of productivity and design, and, and he really kind of got into the difference between simplicity and simplisticness. Yeah, one of my favorite things that ever happens on the show is when we sort of challenge a guest mm -hmm. on their point of view and they defend it really well. Yeah. And that, I think, leads to some of the more enlightening moments in our conversations. And Dan Ward did that uh, in spades. But I um, do think of efficiency as the goal sometimes when I'm thinking about simplicity. Yeah, I, I think there's a linkage between simplicity and efficiency. Um, and I think there are times when, when it's good to go ahead and, and be messy, go ahead and be inefficient, at least sort of tactically inefficient, inefficient in the short term, uh, like doing those switchbacks on a mountain. It feels inefficient to, you know, hey, I'm, I'm covering a lot of distance uh, horizontally and not covering a whole lot of distance vertically. Uh, you know, that may feel inefficient at mm. the time, but when you get to camp and you still have enough energy to, you know, gather firewood and, and set up your, your tent, all of a sudden you realize, hey, that was actually the most efficient way to, to get up to the, the Exactly. So I guess that is the goal, though, is like, yeah, yeah, short-term inefficiency, but ultimate efficiency. It's like goal achievement, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned design thinking and, and systems thinking, and, and so and the military talks about strategic thinking. 
that's really uh, what comes into play with all of this. So like Peter Senge's uh, book, the, the Fifth Discipline, um, you know, was something that was very influential on me when I you know, first started out. Um, and so, you know, when I'm talking with engineers, I, I try to encourage them to not just do the math, but sort of do all the math, do the strategic math, you know, take a look at uh, not just efficiencies of today, but what are the costs that have come along with these so-called uh, efficiencies that we might you know, try and introduce uh, some of the, the secondary effects. And uh, one thing I, I often tell my audiences is, is that in that famous Greek uh, race told by, uh, you know, one of the Aesop's fables, the tortoise was faster than the hare because the tortoise got to the finish line first. There we go. And that's the type of speed that I'm, that I'm interested in. Exactly. I'm, to... I'm like high five and you <laughs> threw the game. <Yeah. laughs> Episode 90, one of my favorite recording experiences uh, because we were sort of, if I remember correctly, this was over my lunch hour. Yeah. We're, we were flying across the city to set up in Michael China's studio, who was, as you put it, sort of one of our white whales. We've been trying to get him on the show for a long time. We're both fans of his work, and we have a lot of professional respect for him. And we were delighted to experience the fact that he's just every bit as thoughtful and professional in person as we imagine he might be. Yeah, and being in somebody's space is so intimate and special, and so getting to record an episode there was was a really cool experience. And yeah, just a big fan of Michael's work and the stuff he's been doing. Absolutely, and we talked about his work pretty intimately. He was super vulnerable and open about his process, and uh, what we talked about in this clip was adaptation and how he's had to change not only the aesthetic of his work but also the approach to doing that work over time and some of the challenges he's faced throughout his career and how those challenges changed as well well to back up and kind of give you the history of how i got there is when i started out i started out on the internet in 96 i was one of the first designers with a website online and uh yeah, and it was a free platform to publish your work with no restrictions. That is unheard of. Like, everybody takes that for granted. You had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to get your work printed up. There was no other way. Mm. You know what I mean? And so I was able to see that opportunity and say, I can do this work, put it out for free. And that's how I got a lot of my early work. So when I started a company called We Work For Them, I said, our and it was when all the other agencies were crashing. Said 50% uh, personal work, 50% client work. That's how we worked it. Um, yeah. So, and that's how I've lived to that still to this day. But, like, I've had to reinvent my work so much. And it's hard to really be original and reinvent. That's It's easy to jump on styles and I've tried to not do that. I've tried to really stay away from styles. Mm-hmm. And to do that is very taxing and it's very difficult. And then to see people rip off that work guts you. Yeah. You know, it really is tough. And and so those are some of the things I battle with, you know. And 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 uh, I think I'm past that little, this little, last little hurdle. But, you know, you, you just have to know yourself and know what can put you down and what can bring you up. And for me, it's just being in that moment and creating new original work and searching and chasing that 
dragon, whatever the word is. I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. Saying. I mean, dragon is good. I kind sure. of like it's heroic. It feels like it's it's magical. Admirable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My 100%. son, my son watches Ninjago, so he's got good taste. Episode ninety six was a real treat, Vin. We get excited when we we have someone <laughs> with a bit <laughs> a bit of an accent. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yep. Grant's patented Australian accent. This was actually a, a New Zealand. A Kiwi, yeah, yes. yes. Uh, and it was none other than, at the time, friend of the show, but now even more so. E- even more so, yeah. Close, close collaborator uh, on Death to Stock with me. He's, he's doing a lot of work with us, um, or we're doing a lot of work together. He's yeah. Sean Singh, and yes. what is his profession exactly? Uh, I would call him an entrepreneur. Um, technically, he goes, he's like running operations at Death to Stock, but um, and on a, like a three-man core team, you do a lot of different things. You wear plenty of hats, yeah, but yep. his, his background is in, in finance. finances, yes. So, right. so he, he had started a, an accounting company called Change, um, and so a lot of our, our conversation with him was about structure, and more specifically about money, and about the constraints of money and finances, and man, he... <laughs> He's the kind of guy who helps me sleep at night because I know he's willing to get his hands dirty with the money, not in not in a not in a sort of a, cooking yeah, the books, yeah, way, not in no. a legal way, but no, it just in in explaining what money means and how we can use it to fuel our creativity versus uh, being afraid of it and and being hindered by it. Absolutely, he he mentions this uh, verbatim, but money is something creatives are traditionally bad at. Yeah, and it's because it's a, a pain point. And it's a sort of a well of negativity in their lives, but it's his mission and he's succeeding at it to kind of change that perspective. Thank you, Sean. So maybe you can just give us a little bit more uh, insight into your philosophy on that uh, as this, like, what I would consider an incredibly creative person working in what is classically not considered a creative field. I mean, of course, you're like working on creative projects, but in the role or in the thing you're doing, as far as like finance or accounting goes. Yeah, well, you, you hit the nail on the head where you're dealing with something where people hate. You know, like yeah, straight that's, away, that's people loathe it. And when you're trying to sell them something and they already hate it, you're like so far behind, it's hard. And everyone has their own kind of unique tale or uh, story they tell themselves about the role finances play in their life. You know, from a personal aspect, it can relate to their family, but usually people don't like finances. It's been tied to a lot of pain in their life. And so when you see these people who start their own businesses, if they haven't got their own personal finances on lock, that same kind of fear is going to transfer over to their business life as well. And so they're trying to change, you know, retell their story or trying to address the fear of why they don't like their finances is really hard. You know, and creatives naturally don't like numbers. And, you know, naturally, I play the devil's advocate when I deal with my creative clients. And one of the biggest things that creatives love to smoke crack, you know, like they're creative, they're creative crack, <laughs> you know, where they just. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> That's a metaphor. Yeah, they, you know, they squat it. in the corner and they just go for gold. But it's really they fall in love with their own ideas big time. And they love it. And this, the, the hard thing is creatives are incredibly intelligent with it's very easy for them to lie to themselves. And so I've always looked at finances, especially profit, as kind of being like a purifier for your ideas. You know, they're really objective. Where your creative is extremely subjective. You know, the numbers don't lie. It's the final result. You know, and there's huge power in terms of looking at your balance sheet or your profit and loss and using it as a mirror and staring into it. 
and not being scared of it. It's not a full judgment, but there is power once you let it guide your guide your creative decisions. You know, like profit's a perfect example because it's a good. It's a, it shows you that your ideas are working because you spend more money. You know, you're sorry, you receive more money than you spend. You know, you have money left over. That's huge. And so starting at that basic standpoint, you kind of branch out into budgets and all the other good stuff. I mean, absolutely. It's, uh, I was like biting my knuckle for a second because like, ah! What you're saying is too real. It, it hits too close to home. The fact that creatives are good at lying to themselves and the fact that, you know, profitability is sometimes construed as selling out. It's kind of demonized in the creative uh, fields. It's uh, it's seen sometimes as contrary to art. Yeah. When I think most people, most people who take a good objective look at the industry come to learn that that's not the case. But even some people who've been in it for a long time still harbor that sort of resentment. Yeah, that myth of the struggling artist really needs to die. I think. You know, it's yeah, totally go, okay to be a rich it. artist. You know, art needs to sell. Two Sean's in a row, Vince. That's the way we like to play here in 1,000 Hours. <laughs> give us a simple game. Give us almost anything to attach on to. And to... Looking for numerology in the episode <laughs> numbers. That's our favorite pastime. Yeah. But... <laughs> I, I, I'm like having a moment of clarity about like how far off the deep end we've gone. <laughs> I, I think around the 100 episode mark is when we really lost it. <laughs> So, the point being, two Sean's in a row in the clips. Uh, the last clip was Sean Singh. This clip is Sean Dunn, who is not a New Zealander. No, he's, he's from not, the States he's, here. He's from the States, and he's a filmmaker. And we talked with him about empathy. And in this clip specifically, we dug into the condescension of expertise. He's talking about some of his films where he chooses not to have an expert and what that means to the audience. I thought this guy was one of the more prophetic and well-spoken and and caring people we've had on the show. Truly one of the most wise individuals that we've ever had the pleasure of talking to. He produces a very uniquely raw and yeah. emotional and connected which, brand of Which we should plug. We should plug here because that's his movies, which are all free on his Vimeo. Um, I think it's just vimeo.com slash Sean Dunn, S-E-A-N. D U N N E. I recommend them to everyone because I, they're a lot of them are shorter too. They're just beautiful little slices into like weird parts of humanity that we don't get to see. And I just can't, I can't. I love them. American Absolutely. Juggalo. He did a documentary on the on uh, called Oxiana about uh, oxycotton addiction and prescription painkiller addiction. Just fascinating stuff. Amazing content. And then what's even more amazing is his approach to finding that content. And that's what we talk about in this clip. He mentions why he makes the very deliberate choices that he does in, in how he assembles his films and the desired product of those choices. Super enlightening and, and super emotional, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I definitely, I, I feel what you're saying. And, you know, I think that's one of the goals of these projects is to, to spark a dialogue, is, is to kind of, you know, create the thing that people saw that they have in common that now they can use that as a jumping off point for a conversation about this thing. And it's why we take extra care to not have these films come off like they contain all the answers. I think they contain all the questions, but mm. I wouldn't fucking put myself in any position to try to be 
you know uh just giving the final answer on some of these things yeah, it's yeah. so <laughs> boring that's and it's so i i hate to say it it's increasingly the tendency yeah. in my medium in documentary it's like what's the takeaway where are yeah, the what's answers the takeaway, what's the right? solution you well, know? Yeah, anything that forces introspection or consideration <laughs> yeah. is like dangerous <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it, and it rubs people the wrong way. But for me, it rubs the right people the wrong way. And it's like, cool, you're just not a fan of my stuff. You're just, <laughs> you know, you, you, and, and you, you want you just want a different type of filmmaker. And that's just not who I'm going to be because I'm, whatever, I'm not that great at details. I'm never going to put statistics in my films or like lower third everyone and explain what's going on. And oh, here's yeah. an expert on opiates. Like if I put an expert in Oxiana, do you know how condescending that is to the people that are in it? You know, the people that are in it are in it. They're the experts. They're going through this. They're seeing yeah, it every day. Totally. Having some doctor come on makes everyone else in that film look like a lab rat. They, they, it makes everyone else in the film look below this voice of God. And, you know, it's not just for that film. It's for all the films. We're trying to do that. And it challenges the audience because uh, some people want answers. They really do. I, every now and then I'll do a screening and do a Q&A and stuff. And inevitably there'll be some person who's just like slightly put off by uh, by the open-endedness of all of this and just wants some sort of, you know, cold hard facts, something they can take away, something that can make them feel better. And I'm like... I couldn't be happier when I get those types of questions and criticisms because I'm like, I got you in exactly the position I want you. You're going to be thinking about my film the rest of your life. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, and and I'm not saying that in a selfish way. I'm saying in a way where like I do, I want people, if I want anyone to take away anything from me making these projects, it's engage with your surroundings more, engage with your environment. We're a product of our environments. We might as well understand them more and and through a non-judgmental lens. And, um, yeah, maybe that's all I'm trying to do going out there and doing all this stuff and spending all my fucking money doing it. Episode 99, that juicy palindrome. Juicy indeed, Vin. I I think I'm having a, an almost salivary response. Palindromes now elicit, they make my skin sweat and my tongue gets wet. Just a Pavlovian response, yeah. Uh, fun number and fun guest, we had Jason Sandy, formerly of Vimeo Staff Picks, and now currently... The founder, co-founder, and proprietor of Short of the Week. Uh, so he has a great deal of insight into the medium of short film, and we took that opportunity to sort of mine the discussion uh, in a very detailed way about short film. Yeah, Jason's super bright, super dedicated to to, to the form, and I think to elevating artists working in the form. It was really special to talk with him about about that form, that medium, and the constraints that go along with it. Yeah, I, obviously, you know, the world of, of short film is incredibly broad and vast, and there's people who are bringing to bear all sorts of approaches. I will say that I think rather more less so than in some of the arts do you see uh, intentionally deconstructed, or I see encounter intentionally deconstructed work, or sort of faux naive uh, work less frequently insofar as short film by and large is still the domain of uh, people who are starting out in their careers. Um, I believe very strongly in that it's a medium that has its sort of strengths and its benefits independent of it being a calling card uh, for a future career. But practically, because monetization hasn't really been 
sorted out for short form, and I don't think it's about to be sorted out anytime on the near horizon. For in all practical intents and purposes, short films are being made by people who are trying to leverage them into making something else, be it TV, be it film, be it commercial work. And if you are approaching it with that mindset, you're generally trying to put your best foot forward and you're trying to say that this is the highest capability that I'm able to produce uh, on a visual level, on a technical level, on a story level. And you're also relatively fresh and new to the industry. And so a lot of what I think you're, what it sounded to me like you're describing is, is sort of the province of more advanced artists who you can only learn to sound like you just picked up guitar a week ago if you're actually a, a guitar master. <laughs> because, because before you can uh, make it sound appealingly naive, you actually have to really know what it is that you're deconstructing backwards and forwards first. Resting into the triple digits. I'm picturing you and I, perhaps you a bit more pasty, but shirtless in our, in our swim trunks on surfboards, cruising in oh, and, and a God. plane flying by in the background with, with one of those messages behind it that says, congrats on 100, boys. <laughs> I mean, that was the exact picture painted in my mind. Uh, but this episode was a treat. We had Wesley Verhoeven on which is a great name for a great guy. He is a photographer and an author and a writer and the man behind... One of many, uh, which was a project he did documenting people, places, creatives in their cities. Really special project. Absolutely. And that's a subject matter that we've tried upon before on the show. What does location have in correlation with creativity? Wesley, however, had a theory for it, and he supported it with extreme succinctness and and expression and wisdom. And yeah. it turned out to be a, a really cool learning experience for me. As for me, Vince, and it's actually you know, two of my two of my findings that I that I speak about when I, when I speak at conferences about one of many, uh, speak perfectly to this. I found that a city or a community needs two things to be able to stand out on a national level. Uh, and I've come up with these names myself, but the, the first thing is an anchor creative industry, meaning a specific sliver of creative industry that really stands out on a national level and, from which all the other creative industries can pull themselves up by. Mm. Uh, for example, in Charleston, that would be food. Uh, that's a major, major food city. And they're nationally renowned for amazing award-winning restaurants. That also means people are paying attention to those restaurants. That also means if those restaurants are hiring local graphic designers for their logos and their websites, then those people will be in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. It also means that if they're working with uh, local video or, or photo people, that sliver of creativity will be picked up nationally. So if you have an anchor industry, it's a lot easier for the other creatives around you to also be brought up. And then the second thing, in addition to the anchor industry, is uh, anchor individuals, so organizers, if you will, people that 
are really community oriented and that at just kind of have people cluster around them. So that could either be people that organize events like creative mornings that bring together creators of different kinds once a month to, to listen to a lecture and talk to each other. Or it could be someone like uh, Kate Bingham and Burt in Portland, Oregon, who is a graphic designer and an illustrator and a teacher at the local university. And she happens to be one of those people that just came up in every other conversation because she's touched so many lives because she's so generous. Yeah. And she's, she's, she's also been, been a guest. Show. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, yeah. so every other person that I spoke to in Portland when I was there for, for the project was like, and then I met Kate and she told me this thing and or she introduced me to this person or or she hired me or whatever whatever it is like it's just one of these people that brings up the community around them and it's not even i mean it's it's not unintentional but it's not even like she's doing it on purpose she just can't help it yeah you know she's just one of those people that is very generous and and is great with humans yeah so so, so again, it's two things. You need to have an anchor creative industry and you have, need to have several anchor creatives mm-hmm. that are in some fashion um, empower the local community to think bigger and, and go and do stuff. Episode 107 and the return of one David Cherry to the show. He had previously been on with his former business partner, Allie Lehman whose husband actually joined us this season, episode 97. Six degrees of separation from David Sherry, always the case. Certainly, certainly. David of Death to Stock, which is a project that I've been putting a lot of love into. Uh, and we actually featured uh, the other the other uh, piece of the triangle, point of uh, what I would say the triangle of Death to Stock is, Mr. Sean Singh in a previous clip. But this one was David Sherry. This was an in-studio. He was in Minneapolis at the time. We had the pleasure of hanging out with him on, on many occasions this year. Yes. What a, what a treat, man. What a pleasure. And we, and we were talking with him about echolocation, um, this idea of find, putting out messages and finding partners, like communicating uh, if you remember a, a conversation we had a couple seasons ago about red flags, this yes. is sort of the mirror to that. To Green up. flags, if you will. Totally. And how to find them. Yeah, and so Dave was just riffing on something that I think people talk and think about a lot, which is the internet, internet presence. And I thought he had some pretty pretty good, solid advice and just conversation about uh, what it means to echolocate, especially in a digital age. What are some signals you guys look for as yourselves in partnership? I'd say in the uh, in the digital age we're in of social media, I think yeah. one of the first things you do is kind of just check them out online. And uh, I don't know if this is giving away Those something. Those are signals they're putting out, right? Yeah. I don't know if this is giving away something, but Grant, I know you're launching a website here soon, personal yeah, site. Yeah, it'll finally be out by the time this podcast is up. But yeah. part of the purpose for that is to show that you're legit, that yeah. you, know, you, you create amazing work and you want it to be represented as best as possible. So I'd say... Step one in the echolocation game is what they've been putting out publicly and checking that out on their social medias. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Kind of like a a square one if there ever was one, right? Yeah. If like, you can't like make a good accord of yourself as someone who doesn't online, <laughs> then where like, I mean, it's it's not, it's just making information hidden. Like how, what does your work look like? How do you portray yourself? How do you understand yourself? Those things aren't necessarily negatives right off the bat, but they're just concealed information for no reason. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's 
Yeah. That's, that's a funny thing because it doesn't mean like, let's, if you don't have a bunch of your work really thoughtfully put together online, that doesn't mean you're not capable of really good work, but it does sort of, it can potentially sort of knock you off of a list of people looking. I mean, obviously. Let's say you need to know fast and now you don't know fast. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just that simple. Yeah. 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 I'd kind of bring up uh, Instagram as one of the main ones here, especially when it comes to hiring artists like photographers. And I think whether it's right or not, even the following size is definitely taken into account, I think, when working with people. And I agree with you, Vince, just because you're not online doesn't mean that you don't create amazing work, but it's definitely a shortcut for brands looking for people to work with and saying, social validation, we want to work with you. And also, especially if you're in the business of creating things that are seen by other people, you want someone who has experience being seen by other people, right? Yeah. It's not to say that there aren't, and there certainly are. In fact, I'm 100% certain that there are people out there, highly talented photographers and artists who have no social media presence and no internet presence at all. But do you even want to work with those really talented people if they're not internet fluent and they're not used to being consumed by a large crowd? Yeah, I mean, man, I've I've struggled with this a lot just personally in thinking about social media and thinking about access and the type of work I want to put out. And that's like been a big cha- I mean, it is a big challenge, especially because even with, with a lot of the stuff I'm doing, like I don't like over opening myself up because I don't think it's productive for me. Um, but I I do, I have realized in a lot of ways that figuring out a way to play within that is productive. And kind of just getting over that. I think that that's very fear-based and like it's, it's uh yeah. So, so what that signals when someone has done that is that they, they're like willing to like figure something out and play the game. Kind yeah. Of. And put themselves out there. Yeah. But yeah. I, and I think this echo thing is what we're looking for here is shortcuts. Yeah. And social validation among a very large crowd or a big group of followers is a shortcut to saying they're pre-vetted. That, that group of people approves of their work or responds mm-hmm. positively to their work. Episode 108, another one of um, one of our white whales. To, to invoke the, to, the Moby Dick <laughs> yeah, yeah. analogy, basically this was a guest uh, who we both have profound respect for yeah. and we wanted to have a conversation with for a long time. Uh, n- in no small part because... Her work uh, is a source of sort of inspiration and, and so jumping off for our own. And, and I met her, the first time I met her was right at the inception of the podcast. We were really just talking about doing it. And so it was kind of special to circle back then like three years later almost. Absolutely. Uh, the person we were talking about is, of course, Tina Esmaker, the founder, co-founder of The Great Discontent, uh, also the editor-in-chief thereof. And she has her grounding in the project in interviews and interviewing people and that's sort of what we were discussing in this clip uh, not just talking to people but but much more the opposite listening to people and how hard that is in 2016 and how important it is to as she put it uh, create a safe space for the exchange of information really poignant conversation with her yeah, super generous with her time and with her wisdom. Thank you, Tina. And I think that, um, you know, the point is not to 
reach the decision of whether you're not whether or not you agree with them. The point is to just hear them, and I think that is. You know, I was just, we just published the interview with Krista Tippett online and her and I talked a lot about this because she also interviews for a living and talks to all of these incredible people. And she talks about this idea of generous listening, which is really just listening to understand. And it doesn't mean that you have to agree with what you're hearing. It doesn't mean that you have to reach an outcome at the end. It just means that you're creating a space for someone who maybe thinks or believes differently from you to express what they think or believe. And it's a safe space to do that. And we don't have many safe spaces to do that. And, you know, what she's created with On Being is really a safe space to do that. And I think that is um, part of the you know, why the show is so resonant that she's creating a space where people can talk about spirituality and all kinds of deep and meaningful things in a way that, you know, they can take what they want from it. And, um, you know, it's not offensive or like proselytizing or, Mm -hmm. you know, and and you don't have to have a show to do that or be that, which is a cool thing. You can do that in everyday life. I mean, I could do that with, my family, my friends. I could do that with the checkout clerk at the grocery store. Your karate instructor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Vince. Something I love about this show is the structure that we've created. And it's evolved a little bit over has, 115 odd episodes. But a lot of it's been pretty consistent. And one thing that's been consistent all the way through has been when we take a little break from the topic to explore something not particularly germane. Not particularly germane. To the topic at hand. That's my favorite, that's my favorite phrase. Uh, well, it's not, but it's up there. It's good. It's a good one it's in the show. One. It's yeah. a fun one. Uh, that's the off-topic topic. It's a topic, uh, if you're not familiar with the show, if this is your first time listening, we it's exactly what it sounds like. We talk about something sort of oddball and, and off topic uh, to get us loosened up and just sort of clear our heads. And it's always a lot of fun. Sometimes it's even more fun than normal, though. Yeah. Case in point, when we have Eric Gorvin, a.k.a. Gordyland, on the show to talk about Gordyland, the yeah. fictional amusement park that exists inside his head. His identity, yes. Oh, incredible. What episode was this? Grant? This was episode 109. Eric Gorvin, of course, the artist, uh, is super friend of the show, and originally uh, was going to be my co-host. Yeah, if you guys are if you guys are super fans, you'll know. Yeah. In the Wayback Machine, he was the original me in the equation uh, before a, a, a number of things yeah, sort yeah. of made it not it, going to happen. But it seems appropriate then that we go into the hyper reality. <laughs> As we're on a, as we're on one tangent of space time here in in this universe where you and I are co-hosts of ten thousand hours, That's and, right. and we we traveled for a little bit to another reality. So imagine, if you will, Eric Gorvin as the co-host of the show, and this next clip will give you a good experience of what that might have been like. Eric, what kind of what kind of rides are present at Gordyland? Well, um, right now there's the there's the 4D roller coaster, which is a roller coaster that goes. It uses time as a dimension for its like twists and turns. Um, oh, wow! Does that Wait, does one... it go back in time, or is it? Are you just talking about it's, the passage of time? It's basically like the way I look at it. The fourth, the fourth dimension. Once we learn how to master it, 
it won't matter if it's backwards or forwards. It's just like you're just in it, you know? So it's like... It's There's just... a book called Spaceland that I absolutely love. <laughs> and they introduced me to the new directions. Because, of course, like if you were a flatlander, if you were a two-dimensional being, you would have no understanding of... Yes. Uh, front and back because yes. it's another dimension. Yes. Um, and so us us three Ders have no conception of uh, the fourth Vin, Yeah, of Vin and Vout, these other directions that we just yeah. sort of can't wrap our heads around. <laughs> it's like uh, my buddy, you know, Tomas. Maybe not. You know, Tomas. Of course, Tomas. Right, yes. Tomas Vian Senior, my brother, great friend, one of the most amazing artists I know and, and great collaborator, uh, collaborator, he and me were having this conversation about Saturn's hexagonal pole. Of course, of course. Which is like this crazy like anomaly in, in the It's like a giant storm or whatever that's in a shape of a hexagon inexplicably. Yeah, yeah. And they say that wherever there's geometry, there's life. So that's already scary. Damn. But at the other end, there's this vortex that they also don't know what's going on. It's like this crazy vortex. So Tomas has this theory that it's like this uh, fourth or fifth dimensional planet. And he's like, and we can't really tell what's going on because he said, in just exactly how you just said it, Grant, he goes... <laughs> Imagine if Mickey Mouse was a sentient being and in 2D Mickey Mouse was looking up at you and asking you how to explain the third dimension. You would have nowhere to start. You have no groundwork. There's nothing that you could say to say, Mickey, there's this whole other dimension. <laughs> there's this whole, you, can, you can go all these other places, you know, like it's never going to work. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that that's actually, uh, that's interesting. I don't okay. know like how, okay. how we got there. So but, you, you have know, a 4D yeah. roller coaster uh, in Gordyland. Yeah, the, so that's, this idea of an amusement, this, uh, this personification <laughs> of amusement park, which is also I, your artistic I marker. like it, man. So far, I'm yeah. at a ticket. I mean, <laughs> yeah. There's also a lot of different, like, there's also a lot of different creatures. There's a lot of different, like, machines that, like, you won't find here, you know? Like, there's this one singing machine that helps your inner bird sing, and it's powered by a reverse waterfall. Oh, my God. So, I, it's like... I implore our listener to just <laughs> oh pause this, go get high, and then rejoin us. Get I beg you. <laughs> You know, but, you know, really, though, Gordyland is like, is a place, it's like a place, it's a person, it's an idea, it's a thing that, like, has helped me be like, you know, like, you can, you can live wherever you want in your mind, you know, you can say and do and create and, and have whatever you want, whatever your little heart desires, you can make that happen and make it real. And as far as it's real to you, it is real to anybody. Grant. Oh, there's that noise. I'm vibrating. He's vibrating. In excitement. Enjoy. Episode 111. Special moment in 10K history. The triple palindrome. Yeah, I mean, just recording this intro was one of the great joys of this show. It was was sort of a monumental moment. Uh, And a a great guest to mark the occasion. Certainly. We had Danielle Evans, the dimensional typographer and food typographer out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, We were talking in the episode sort of about niche and about, you know, the the narrow avenue in which she expresses herself and why that's so cool and interesting. Uh, But we're in the off-topic topic portion of the program and sometimes the best off-topic topics are the ones that occur organically in the middle of the episode, sort of during the topic itself, which is what happened here. 
Danielle shared a very charming story about her time as a Little League batter. Yeah, and a, a particularly bad one, it sounds like. <laughs> uh, she did what we do best and ran with one of our failed segues. Uh, so enjoy Danielle's story about the Little Leagues. Wow, that setup is immaculate. <laughs> Thank you for Thanks to Grant. Grant really said the stage. I just feel like there's a lot of like pomp and circumstance behind this and I really got to really got to hit it. Thank you. You know they called me 50 pitches in little league? Yeah, of course. We knew that. We do our research on this show, Danielle. Of course we know. We talked to coach Jenny. 50 pitches. It's the whole feel. No, were yeah. you were you too cautious of a batter? Is that the idea? I used to argue with the umpire. He'd be like, that was a good ball. I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was outside. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you can't strike out. You can't strike out in, like, early ball, right? No, no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the parents were like, oh, my God. Here she comes. Yeah. God. So we could, like, continue to just avoid the question 50 times. Vince, Vince, Vince. This was a treat. It was a treat to have uh, these twins on, which is Jennifer and Amy Hood of Hoodspa Design Co. But it was also a treat because we, we made some ambitious promises in this particular OTT. Absolutely. First and foremost, they have the honors of being the, the second, well, the third and fourth <laughs> yeah. true repeat guest. Yeah. Uh, we had them on in season one and they were a delight. And we had them on now in season yeah. three for episode 112. Episode nine and episode 112. And the treat was even bigger than last time. They were a, a true delight. Yeah, so fun. And we were talking about time capsules and sort of nostalgia in our OTT, and that spawned a really ambitious promise to create time capsules. Yes. Uh, so as is our custom, sometimes uh, we just continuously ramp up instead of <laughs> checking down. Uh, and so none of the four of us could ever put a, a stop to it, and we agreed to write sort of notes or observations to seal away in time for two years until we're ablo- ob- obligated to have them on the show again. Yeah, I'm so excited. Season five. I, I pray, I pray we get Hoods back on season five. We get to talk about these because I have a Google Drive folder that currently contains all of our submissions. Four submissions. Oh man, uh, well I hope you enjoyed as much as we did. It was a wild ride and a nostalgic ride. And stay tuned for 2018 yeah. 2018 when we open these things. Uh, until then, enjoy this. So it's really cool. It's almost like looking in a mirror to see what you are then. And that person can then kind of grow with you in a way that older friends might not as understand as much, you know, because it's almost like when you go home for the holidays and you kind of go back to that 13 year old version of yourself that you're like, God, why do I always become this person? Why do we do that? (laughs) But it's because they only know you as that. And so you all kind of treat each other as you all were when you were. I mean, that's phenomenal though. Like even just like practically as far as, like an applicable thing is like creating space to reflect on it or like have, you know, either putting yourself in new situations that force you to recognize that or, or looking back. I will say even like this episode, right? We're now two years later. Oh, what, what a nice opportunity to check in and to, to sort of be forced to remember where we were at then and then to see where we are now. Momentum. What are you guys doing in 2018? Yeah. Fall of 2018. Pencil us in. Uh, <laughs> two years from now? Yeah. Terrific. You guys, should we write letters to ourselves in the mail <laughs> and then two years later open it? 
That'd be so fun. Remember like, sure. in middle school? Yeah, let's do it. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. But sort of serious. Oh, yeah. We're kidding, too. Serious. That would be so, that would <laughs> oh, be so yeah, lame. Would, like, why would so, we do yeah. that? Vinny's twisting the cap on his quill. He looks so sad. I'm tearing up a small piece of parchment. Vinny, I'm going to do it. Don't worry. I'm going to do it. Let's do it. All right. We're in. I'm actually down. Hold cool. on. This is this is the sort of this is the sort of foolhardy promise I love to come out of a podcast. After our ping pong match with whoever let's that determine, was, let's determine the rules here. So, are we writing a uh, letter to ourselves? What are we writing? Ourselves. Okay. This is a letter to yourself that's like kind of like a swift kick in the ass. So that if in two years we haven't grown at all, it's like, did you do this? Like, I don't know, writing down hopes and dreams. Here's what I want. Here's what I want instead. Kind of. Listen, I, no, no, not instead. On top of. You know, every, you know, there's the classic time capsule thing. You write a letter to yourself, you check it later. I want us to each write a letter to the group. And, you know, Woo. the focus is probably on ourselves, but let's write a letter to the group. And then I think all of our letters will be a bit more interesting. Ooh, I, I like it. All right. United. So you, you guys got the, this is, this is our new impromptu off topic topic, by the way, time capsules slash letters oh, nice. to the future. Uh, so the rule, the rules for the, the 10,000 hours Hoodspook collab letter to the future oh, is everyone, all four of us write a letter to the group to be opened on November 1st, 2018. Okay. So where, uh, I guess I could store it. I'm pretty good at digital storage. We all store it ourselves. We all have to store it okay, ourselves. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. I just, I'm saying it would not be a bad idea if for us to... Centralize it, but then you get to read it beforehand. No, no, no. Of course you wouldn't. That's the point, dude. You wouldn't. You can't. Listen, we'll put a password on Honor system. All right, no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm on board. I I'm on board. Trusted. Perhaps you can. I see the gleam in your eye. <laughs> uh, okay. Listen, you, can, you can either type it out or you could write it and scan it in, photo, whatever. I'll mm. collect them. I'll, what I'll do is, uh, uh, God willing, Boomerang, the um, tool is still around. It's <laughs> still being supported in 2018. Reminder, I will say, it is alive and well because one year ago... Uh, actually, on December 26th, I sent myself an email, and it said, uh, "It said, get mom a puzzle for this Christmas, this Christmas with a family photo on it. She'll fucking love it." And I was like, <laughs> "And I was like, oh my god!" And I sent it to my sister, and she's like, "This is amazing. We're doing it." And I was like, "Wow!" Shouts out, Pass Grant. Like, you're killing that's it. Hilarious. Pass Grant for looking out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's some good so, shit. So listen, if if we get them to me. We'll have a deadline. Let's see. The day this episode comes out, Monday. Mm. That seems fair. Otherwise, I'm going to be traveling the whole... That seems fair. The road... The, the I'll write on the road. I'll write on the road. All right. Cool, we're done. Cool, we're, cool. We got right. it. I got it. I'll remind us in two years. No matter where we're at. Episode 100, Vin. Grant, it's sort of strange because it felt in many ways like a conclusion, and it still does, listening yeah. back. Uh, it was in the middle of the of the year, and it was both a milestone and a springboard for bigger and greater things to come. But it was a really valuable moment for the show, and well, mm-hmm. for for me at least. To, well, <laughs> this is my class. That's my classic move. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for us to look back and sort of reminisce and and take stock of what we've accomplished, uh, the, the topic we were discussing was life's work. Yeah, that's a. A heady topic. That's a pretty intense topic. Uh, makes you consider your mortality, your purpose, and yeah, we were. It was another hostful, which we we dig deep on those. And it was episode 100, so we were 20 episodes into season three. You know, we'd been talking a lot about self-definition, and now we were kind of putting a little bit of a bow on that, or at least really, really exploring it. 
Absolutely. And in the course of the each and every show, we like to jump back into the topic in a sort of a segment we call Last Thoughts. Yeah. And no more fitting, I think, in retrospect, Last Thoughts for the entire season than, than the Last Thoughts that we touched on in, in episode 100. Oh, man. Let's, let's go all the way, Vince. <laughs> uh, I think we have. I think we can eschew the customary first question, how to support us. If you've listened to part or all of our 100 episodes. I mean, God help you if you've listened to all of them, <laughs> honestly. But uh, if you listen to any of them, you've already supported us, and we appreciate that. Hopefully, you'll keep listening, keep reaching out, and keep interacting with us because yeah. that's what makes it all worth it. Uh, some last thoughts, man? Some, For sure. How, I would we... say go rate us or something. Yeah, well, yes, please do. And like us on Facebook. And go... No, I'm just kidding. Fuck Facebook. Tweet hey, about maybe tweet us. us. <laughs> maybe tweet us because that's fun. Uh, but yeah, okay, sorry. Uh, some last thoughts on life's work. Life's work, man. <sighs> mm, okay, two two initial things that we cannot <laughs> overlook. Uh, based on the show, self awareness. Like we can't skip over that. We uh, can't. We must. Especially, we're all at different levels of our own journey. Whether that's age, whether that's and it's not always just a complete linear scale too. <sighs> we no you can be self aware in moments and less self aware in others. Um, well, in self, I mean, as we as we pretty much <laughs> we got to the end of that idea for us, which was that it never ends. It's a constant thing. Self awareness is just so constant, and mm-hmm. you just constantly have to check in with it. Um, it. So that's layer one is like really digging deep into self awareness. Into I mean, <laughs> God, that sounds fucking pretentious, but the reality is like digging deep into who you are, digging deep into the things you're into. And and just really thinking about that and working on it and creating things and then learning from that. And then from there, we talk a lot about self-definition, which is like kind of the next stage, at least for me, which is, okay, like I've thought a lot about who I think I am or who I am. And then what, what do I want that to be? What can I mold that into? What can I create that is related to that, that is authentic, that is coming from a place of authenticity? And then where does that lead, Vince? I, where where indeed does it lead? I think if I'm trying to kind of sum my thoughts on life's work, which is kind of a summary of a summary of a summary. <laughs> but I would <laughs> I would be Ed Norton. You were Ed Norton for me <laughs> yeah. for a second there in Fight Club. Maybe we'll show notes to that clip where he's pulling the uh, and he's he's saying a copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Still still one of my all time favorite movies. Absolutely. Um, I think perspective is is just as important as it always is. Yes. Where when you're looking back, your something as benign and simple as your own memory of a situation can can irrecoverably taint or distort your view of something. So I'm not trying to say, you know, be mindful of the absolute truth at all times. Much the opposite. It's acknowledge that there's perspective involved and. That when you're looking back or when you're trying to, you know, condense your work, your career, your life into a conversation, that there are going to be imperfections in that process. And to welcome those and embrace those makes the whole process healthy instead of unhealthy. Grant, another amazing season and another fun experience sort of going back through the season with you. I cannot be more excited for season four 
And there's there's only one thing left that we that we do on the show. Yeah. What do we do again? I we say something at the end. Is Typically it like we we say bye bye? Is that what? It, or we say no. Good night and good luck. That, no, that's not us. May that's the force be. No, that's some other person says that. Uh, typically, we sort of give very nebulous and unclear instructions <laughs> to the guests, which uh, inevitably screws them up, and we have to have a conversation about the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it becomes very referential. Check your email. I sent you over more specific step-by-step instructions for how we end the show. <laughs> Jokes aside, we always sign off with our... Uh, I mean, I, I'm hesitant to call it a signature phrase, but it is a mantra that we... At least a signature phrase. Yeah, that, that we operate by and that we hold dear... It's, ship it mm-hmm. the idea that if it doesn't ship it isn't art basically the most important thing is always having a product to show oh totally man I, and I, in a lot of ways I think the show is designed if you're listening to this right now the show is in many ways designed to help you get out of your own way maybe help you uh, hear how some other people are shipping it and get some insight and maybe lower the barrier to you shipping it but that's what it's about go ship it go make your art go do the work absolutely and so usually we would sign off I think on a hostful with us doing an in unison ship it yeah. but I think more fitting this time is to let our guests do it for us alright you want to count us down man? yeah baby one two three ship it on YouTube, ship it. Ship it. Everybody out there, ship it. Ship it. Ship it. Ship it. Just ship it. Ship it. Don't think. Ship it. All right, we have to use that one now. Now you've just signed yourself up for the whole part before it being just, the show. Yeah, you've really screwed yourself here. Just please don't say ship it again because then that would force us to further it. That's a lot of fun, man. This is really cool. This is how podcast should be.